Now please join me in a prayer for illumination of God's word. Teach us your way, O Lord, as we listen to your word. Help us to understand your law and obey it with all our hearts. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Today's scripture from the Old Testament is in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5, verses 18 and 20. Uh, This is the seventh and ninth commandment. Deuteronomy 5.18, you shall not commit adultery. Deuteronomy 5.20, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Now, Matthew 5, verses 27 through 37, part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her a victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes. Or, no, anything beyond this comes from the evil one. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're nearing the end of our spring sermon series, the life-giving lineup, God's guidelines for the good life. We're looking at the Ten Commandments, and more specifically, we're looking at the Ten Commandments through the lens of one particular commandment, which is the Fourth Commandment, the commandment to keep the Sabbath, to, to have that one day in every week where we honor the Lord, dedicate that entire day. And we're exploring in this home stretch of the sermon series, we're exploring how the Sabbath might help us in obeying the commandments of the Lord. Today we combine two of the commandments, the seventh and the ninth, the prohibition on adultery and false witness or lying. 
put in a positive frame, God's vision of the good life is one where married couples remain faithful to each other and where people are truthful in what they say. Faithful and true. We've been using sports and their ground rules to illustrate the need for God's ground rules in the Ten Commandments. And there's a, there are some clear connections between today's commandments and sports. We foreshadowed this in the children's message. The temptation to cheat or to lie in sports is ubiquitous. It catches us when we bring this up, hopefully for all of us, it catches us in a place of going, yeah, I know what that temptation is like. For those of us who, who can uh, state that they've never been tempted in, the, in a competition, in a sport on a field of play, to take a shortcut or bend the rules or the interpretation of the scorekeeping toward the side that they're on, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I remember well this temptation in high school tennis. Now at the higher levels of tennis, there's an umpire. And there are lines people. Now there's technology, uh, an electronic eye that can tell whether a ball is in or out. But at the more humble levels of tennis, the player calls their own lines, as they say. When it's a close call, when you're running after a ball, and that ball is really close, is it in or is it out? And if it's only slightly out, you know in that moment as a tennis player, at least I did, that your opponent is a long way away. (laughs) And not only that, but there's a net in between them and you. And they won't know the difference if you call it in your favor. But you know the difference. God knows the difference. Your opponent, well, you recognize early in the match what kind of opponent and the character of opponent you're playing. But that goes for your opponent's experience as well. It takes a great deal of discipline and honesty to call a point against yourself when you're competing to win. Now, the final round of the U.S. Open in golf is happening today. How many, that's kind of a Father's Day tradition. How many people are going to watch a little bit of that today? Anyone? Okay, it's a good poll of mostly the dads among us in the group. Not entirely, not entirely. Um, But the game of golf is famous for its code of ethics around the rules of the game. You may be tempted to conveniently not count an errant shot against oneself or to occasionally perhaps kick (laughs) the ball out of the tall grass onto the fairway. But if you do, 
the sport as a whole, as an institution, is bold enough to say, if you do that, you are not, in fact, playing golf. Real golf requires a high degree of integrity. But you see this in all sports. Consider what goes into each one of the sports in terms of maintaining integrity. First, there's the standardization of the marking of the boundaries, the lines on the field or the court. That's important. Could you imagine playing these sports where it's just up to the home team, whatever it is? There's also an official rule book. We don't often have a copy of that, but that official rule book is there for those who instruct players, young and old, the proper way to play the game. Now, there's not only a rule book, there's also a judge. In every sport, especially where the outcome matters in the competition, judges who enforce the rules of the game in the form of referees or umpires and the like. I'm kind of known in my history of, of being Presbyterian and being in Presbyterian congregations. It's kind of interesting. We, we, uh, we don't have a, uh, a shortage of Presbyterians who serve as umpires and referees. I wonder why that is. Beyond even the judges and the referees and the umpires, there's usually an appeals process. And that's more and more the case in our televised sports. There's instant replay, where sometimes the game is paused in order to double-check the integrity of a call. Because it matters. The two commandments that we're looking at today have to do with maintaining integrity. Preserving trust and honesty. You shall not commit adultery. Adultery specifically meaning sexual relations with anyone other than one's spouse. And you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. This is a prohibition against lying or other ways of twisting the truth toward one's own advantage. From even a cursory view of major spectator sports, these commandments are quite relevant. Cheating in the form of pervasive adultery, certainly the temptation toward adultery on the part of its stars, its great players, is well known and documented. It's difficult to be a professional athlete, for instance, and to walk in the way of the Lord. As is the temptation to cheat or be otherwise dishonest involving things like uh, taking performance-enhancing drugs to get an unfair advantage over other competitors. Or, for instance, point-shaving scandals, which, by the way, the whole, idea, the whole area of gambling and sports is like back in the fore because, because we've opened quite a few doors to, to that that marriage that has made us, in, in the past, has made us quite anxious. And of course, sports as entertainment leads us to consider the full industry of entertainment in our culture, where adultery is often celebrated. And at the very least, one can say that the, 
portrayals of lifelong, passionately devoted spouses are few and far between. Now, occasionally, a film stands out in taking a moral high ground in actually exposing a disregard for ethical integrity. And there's a recent example of that in the 2022 biographical drama film titled, She Said. This movie focuses on the two reporters, women, who spearheaded the New York Times investigation that exposed movie producer Harvey Weinstein's history of abuse and sexual misconduct against women. This was a key moment in what came to be known as the hashtag MeToo movement. In considering these two commandments and the teaching of Jesus in relation to them, it's helpful to remember the subtext of the protection of women. God's vision of the good life is one without this kind of dehumanizing abuse. Well, when in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has the opportunity to teach on these particular commandments, how does he take them? Very seriously indeed. We see a side of Jesus here that often gets left out of our culture's portrayal of what I call free and easy Jesus. The Jesus who is too kind and timid to ever challenge us with a hard word. Jesus' teachings about adultery or divorce and the taking of oaths are fully in the category of what many call the hard sayings of Jesus. These are hard sayings. They're difficult to interpret and to apply. It's it's hard to get a sense of exactly what Jesus is saying. We know the force and the direction of what he's saying. But it really challenges us to, to focus our attention on good skills of biblical interpretation. Because there are ways that we could go off the tracks as we interpret The full biblical teaching on these subjects requires study of the full texts of Scripture. But one thing that comes through is that Jesus cares very much about faithfulness in marriage and honesty in communication. There's no way for me as a preacher, for uh, any Bible teacher, for you as one reading these texts, even in your devotional life, there's no way for us to To get off the hot seat, if you will, that Jesus places us on. Now, exploring it further, in Matthew 5, like with the murder-anger connection that Jesus has just spoken of, we talked about that last week, Jesus reveals a root cause of adultery, lustful thoughts. One biblical scholar I read is careful to point out that in the original Greek, Jesus is not saying looking with lust, but looking in order to lust. And like anger, lust might be considered an involuntary emotion 
or response for us as human beings. Depends on how you define it. But certainly we know as human beings, we know the experience. But like carried anger, it's likely that lingering lust is what Jesus claims is at the heart of adultery. Jesus' words about getting rid of the parts of our body that cause us to stumble, it's important to note here that this is an intentional exaggeration meant to emphasize the importance of immediate change. To emphasize the importance of putting an immediate stop. What people in our culture lately have been calling a full stop to our internal indulgences. Now when we do this, it may feel like we're losing a part of ourselves. But this is what integrity requires. Like we mentioned, it's hard. It's hard to make a call that might go against you. It's the same way with Jesus' teaching on divorce. Here in this text, I think it's helpful. These are hard words as well. And there, again, there are other uh, texts to consider in the full teaching of Scripture. But primarily, I believe, what Jesus is focusing on here is in relation to the commandment or the prohibition against adultery, are those who would consider divorce as a strategy to get away with adultery. Can't I just divorce the person I'm with and then go in that direction? And then it's not adultery, is it? Jesus puts a stop to that line of thinking right away. They are words that are used. They are being used to close the loopholes in the law, even as they were interpreted in Jesus' context. Jesus reinforces the importance of marital fidelity and the continuing relevance of the seventh commandment. And here, remembering the illustration of this movie about two New York Times investigative reporters, Jesus is very much like an investigative reporter who's tracking down all the leads and will not allow us to dismiss or rationalize or excuse our way out of the problem at hand. Returning to our sports imagery, Jesus is like a high-performance coach. Way more concerned about the details than we are initially. The shortcuts that we're willing to take. Jesus is not so willing to concede. Jesus knows what it takes to get to the goal better than we do. Our struggle doesn't lower the bar, but shows the discipline that's required to reach the goal. With almost every sport, there's the general level of learning how to play, and then there's the pathway to excellence. Some of us never experience what it's like to be coached on a pathway to excellence. Others of us do that for a living. 
Bad habits begin in small ways as we swing a golf club or a tennis racket, shoot a basketball, or field a softball. High-performance coaches notice, and they let us know if we're doing it. They don't mince words. They tell us what they see and what they know will happen if those bad habits go uncorrected. But at the same time, they're careful to guide us in a detailed way in making the corrective adjustments that will get us back on the right track. During this series, we've been exploring how rules are there to prevent people from getting injured. And in both of the areas that we're talking about today in the seventh and ninth commandment, adultery and dishonesty, there are many, many, who have experienced great pain and suffering because of them. There's an interpersonal cost in terms of broken relationships, but also a social cost as these break down the social fabric in our wider society. And yet at the same time, so we take, we come to this text and to these commandments already as those who have suffered And we consider how God's desire is that we would not suffer in that way. That that these things that, that have brought us pain and suffering is not God's vision for the world. And yet at the same time we realize how we also have plenty of experience on the other side. And Jesus makes no bones about that. We know that we have brought pain into others' lives. And so we have to pause here and consider Jesus' mercy. These hard sayings of Jesus must be interpreted in light of the mercy that surrounds them, even in the text itself. Earlier in chapter 5 of Matthew, Jesus begins his Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. And so we are brought back to those statements of Jesus in our position of need. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You matter to God. Jesus cares about these things because Jesus cares about you. These are hard words, but it's helpful to remember something we mentioned earlier in this series, and that is the different uses of the law in the Christian life that we, that we affirm as Reformed Christians. These words are to show God's intention for our living, but also to show our need for a Savior. Because perfect obedience is beyond, it's beyond us in our fallen humanity. So, this is where we come to the question of how does the Sabbath help us to honor 
these two commandments. How does the Sabbath help us to be faithful and true? I'm going to look at this in two different ways. One is a focused way that focuses on particular relationships, and then one in more of a general way. First is the focused way. Those of you who have been following through with our Sabbath practice during this season, along with the organization that has provided the materials, practicingtheway.org, recognize that one of the four steps of engaging in the Sabbath is the step of delight. Delight. The Sabbath is not just a, you can't do these things on the Sabbath. There's What you do on the Sabbath are a whole lot of great Fun things that nurture the kind of life that God wants us to experience. The Sabbath is designed by God as a day to give yourself fully to delight in God's world, in your life in it, and ultimately in God himself. Timothy Keller, who recently passed away, said this, Because the world is full of ugly things, we need the Sabbath to feed our soul with beauty. In our the materials we've been following, a couple of recommended activities, a feast with family and friends, activities that give you delight and joy. And this includes delighting in relationships. Because at the end of the day, these two commandments have to do with right relationships. The Sabbath is meant to be a relationship renewal day with those close relationships, particularly within families and among friends, especially for those who are single. In the Jewish tradition, going back centuries upon centuries, the scandalous teaching of the rabbis was that spouses were supposed to make love on the Sabbath. It was God's design. It was the encouragement. In the midst of of busy days, whether that busyness is in in the, the halls of the corporate world or whether it's on the farm, still everyone's too busy, right? The Sabbath is a time to focus on relationships, first of all with God, but also on those other relationships. Marva Dawn, who for most of her life as a theologian, was single, Later in life, she became married, and and she spoke of both of those, those aspects, of being an adult who is single, an adult who is married. She wrote extensively in her writing on the Sabbath about the importance of the Sabbath for developing intimate friendships, if you are single. Stanley Hauerwas, who is someone she studied with and has a great deal of affinity with, a theologian, Uh, for many years at Duke University, wrote this, Surely the church must be a community of friendship that is an alternative to the loneliness of our world, based on the trust that is made possible by speaking the truth one to another. And so the Sabbath leads us into a day of relating to God and in delighting in the relationships that God has given us. And now, let's look at it generally. Marvadon also uh, wrote extensively about the 
the formative power of the Sabbath observance. She quotes a, a famous rabbi who, who claimed that the Sabbath kept the Jewish community Jewish more than the Jewish community kept the Sabbath. It forms life. Sabbath as intentional time with God, away from the messages of the world. Think of the image of marinating. What do we marinate in? I don't know, some of you might be barbecuing today. That's a popular thing to do on a Father's Day. Oftentimes, those meats and possibly even uh, vegetables and other uh, things that you might put on the grill, they are marinated. And in a mar- in, when, it's, when you're marinating something, you place something in a sauce or a liquid. And there's a soaking up of what's around it. Think about if you never spend quality time with God, how much are you soaking up God and God's goodness and the delight that God has for you and for me? That's what the Sabbath is meant to do. The Sabbath forms us into people of character, gives us more time to soak in God's marinade. Marvadon says, Sabbath keeping changes our character. We will be irrevocably transformed by the commitment to a special day set aside for our relationship with God. And the transformation will result in thinking and attitudes and emotions and behavior consistent with God's character. And so in conclusion, in light of God's grace, toward God's goal of goodness, Regularly restored by God's mercy. Let's strive to be faithful and true. Amen.